Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Lord, you had liberty to walk through this auditorium. Everything that doesn't bear the emblem of your glory, take it away. In Jesus' name. Turn your Bible with me to the book of Matthew chapter 16. It's a long journey and we need to start right. Amen. In order for us to have an accurate knowledge of what faith is as a tool, an instrument with which we navigate in the spirit, we need to begin from the beginning. We need to begin from the book of Matthew chapter 16. And I'd like you to pay rapt attention as we progress because I trust God to bring us to a point. I trust God to bring us to that point where we will do the supernatural naturally and do the natural supernaturally through the instrumentality of faith. Amen? All right. Brother Bart, just give me background, okay? Give me background. Um, Matthew 16 is a long reading. Just be patient with me as we strike a chord by the help of the Holy Spirit. It's a scripture that we have looked upon before, but I want us to look at that scripture as the foundational basis of what we'll be discussing tonight. Matthew 16, verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. Oh my God, no. We can't start from 16. Okay, let's start from verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say, Thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon answered, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon by Jonah. For flesh and blood had not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. Somebody say Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. My God. If you believe those words, say amen. I'd like us to begin gently and steadily. We have touched on that scripture before. You'll permit me to go over it again so that we can come into what I'm trusting God to build in our hearts. Now, the Bible revealed that, you see, Jesus was saddled with a very great responsibility. The habitat and the place that Jesus had always been used to is the environment of heaven. And now he was saddled with a great task, having to come into this world, having to come upon the face of the earth, and to teach the sons of men the ways of heaven. Hallelujah. 
just for example if you have never been to Borno State before and if somebody that has ever been to Borno State tries to describe Borno State to me as as much as you will want me to know how it looks like as much as you want me to understand how it is I cannot imagine what you're talking about because I, 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 I have never been there before so Jesus was saddled with a great responsibility of trying to communicate something that we are not acquainted with. And because of the enormity of the task that was upon him, he could not just start communicating the things that he wanted to communicate, just like that, because he stands a risk of not being understood. And so if he wants to communicate something, he has to wait for an opportunity where the environment, the um, location synchronizes with that which he wants to communicate so that when he begins to bring the perspective of heaven you can relate with that which he's trying to communicate because the environment speaks it the situation speaks it the circumstances speaks it and there were several times that jesus had to wait to go to some places before he could make some utterances or else his audience will not understand for instance the bible says that god made jesus manifest in the fullness of time are you with me you need to know and understand what the scripture means by the fullness of time. What exactly is the fullness of time? Because from the time that the covenant was made with Abraham, and, and God was saying unto Abraham, I'm making this covenant with you and with your seed. You will think that Jesus, the seed of Abraham, was going to come in the next generation. Actually, I want to believe that that was God's intention. And then it was prolonged. The reason why it was prolonged, was because of something that the Bible reveals in the New Testament. Are you still with me now? Because the Bible reveals in the book of Galatians to us that the reason why the time was prolonged was because of transgression. And so God could not bring into the earth that which he intended to bring to smuggle into the world of men. But the Bible says finally in final analysis that in the fullness of time, God brought Jesus. Jesus was made manifest. And I always ask people, what was it about time that attained the fullness that made Jesus to come? Alright? The message that Jesus brought was the message of the kingdom. And if Jesus was going to be understood by his audience, something must happen that must support the message that Jesus wanted to communicate. And that thing that needs to happen was that the lust of men upon the face of the earth had to come to a point where it synchronized with the message that God wanted to communicate. And so at the time that Jesus came, it was the Romans that were in rulership of, um, of the province of Israel. Israel. Israel was no longer a self-governing nation. It was under the control of the Romans. And you see, at the time that Jesus was born, the loss of man and the loss that man had was a loss for dominion, a loss for kingdom, a loss for tariff, a loss for territory. And that synchronized with the subject of Jesus' teaching. Because Jesus came to proclaim a kingdom. See, it had to be that the loss of man on earth had to synchronize with that which Jesus was preaching in order for man to understand him. Do you get it? So, he was made manifest at such a time that the loss for man on earth was within the context that could afford God an atmosphere for communicating his mind. Do you get it now? So it was kingdom on earth 
And so when Jesus came and began to communicate issues touching the kingdom, they could perceive him because they were living in that reality in that day and time. Do you get it now? For instance, there were several words that Jesus used that were words that were extracted from um, Roman military registers and Roman governmental registers. The word we call church today, church, was the, is a derivative of a Roman governmental register. Ecclesia. They call that once. And so if Rome goes into another territory, another province, and conquers another, another, another place, and they want to bring that place under Roman government, what they do is that from the headquarters in Rome, Caesar elects some people that will be in charge of the government in that new province. He elects somebody to uh, be the custodian of the law in that province. Elects somebody to be the custodian and the um, head of the military in that place. Elects somebody to be the governor of that province. And then he calls them out of, of the rank and files of the leadership in the headquarters. And he proclaims them as Ecclesiastes. It is your responsibility to transmit the authority of Caesar to that new province. They become his representative in that place. When Jesus said that I've called thee out of the world. That I've called thee as my own to transport and transmit my authority and my presence and my value system and my dimension and my doctrine to your world. He knew what it meant and the disciples knew what it meant. He was talking about the Ecclesiastes. I've isolated you. I've chosen you out of the bunch and I make you to represent me in your day and time. All his speakings were kingdom formulated, kingdom oriented because his disciples could understand him. The entire environment was speaking dominion, was speaking authority, was speaking kingdom so they could understand him. Do you get it now? He waits for the time that is consistent with that which he wants to communicate before he utters anything. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 16 verse 13 the Bible says Jesus was walking in the coast of Caesarea Philippi and just as I've said before I want to say again that there are two Caesareas the first of them is the Caesarea that is close to the Mediterranean Sea and the second is this one that we speak of a place that just underwent some construction work because Caesar it was in the days of Caesar Tiberius. He was the Caesar in Rome. But Philip the Tetrarch was the governor in the province of Judea. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the expanse of his government and territory went as far as Caesarea. Amen. And that was somewhat of his headquarters. Somewhat of the seat of government. And his name was Philip. It was in that day by decree of Tiberias. They had to um, renovate the entire landscape of Caesarea. Because it was going to be another governmental city. Another relevant city in the ancient world government. And the place experienced a facelift. And construction work was taking place. And the place was renovated and garnished. To be befitting to be a place where uh, some high governmental decisions will be taken in the then war. Jesus had to wait to come to that place. 
they took a long journey, long, long journey to come to Caesarea in order to afford him the opportunity to be able to communicate some things because the environment was suitable for such revelation to be brought forth. Are you here now? now and just as I say that time, suddenly we find out that Jesus began to pass out questionnaires. He wanted to know some things. Jesus, who had not been concerned about what people felt about his ministry, prior to that time, he didn't give a damn. He was a slave from heaven. He was not allowed to even interfere with the agenda of God by, by, by manifesting his own will. The Bible said that a body was made for him so that God could have an expression, a definition upon the face of the earth so that his will could be brought to pass. He was not allowed to interfere with the ultimate purpose of God by exerting his own will. He was a slave. He didn't care about anyone's opinion. All, he wore, all, all his concern was, was, was that he wanted to do the will of his father. And here was Jesus. Matthew chapter 16 began to pass questionnaires around and say, Who do men say that I am? And I was wondering why Jesus had to do that. He didn't care about anybody's perspective and persuasion about his ministry. He didn't pass out questionnaires to find out if he had by any means communicated his divinity effectively. It was not an evaluation script. It was not a method for him to know how much he has impacted the people. Why did Jesus ask who the men say that I the son of man am? When we look upon Matthew chapter 16, we come to find out. Do you realize when Peter revealed his revelation of the Christ, Jesus said what? Flesh and blood did not reveal it to you. It was revealed by who? My father. That revealed to me that Jesus had already known because the Bible says that nobody can know the son except him to whom the father reveals him. And I believe that at that point in time, Jesus had received a revelation from the father. That I've released a revelation about you into the earth. And somehow, Jesus had to find out who had received that revelation. And so he passed his question he asked out. And he said, who do men say that I am? And then when they gave their views about his ministry, he found out that the one that has received the revelation was not in the crowd. So he narrowed down his jurisdiction of interest. He now said, who do you say? The revelation I seek is not in the crowd. Thank God for the 70 disciples. Thank God for everyone that sat, sat by the seesaw when he sat to teach. Thank God for the people that came and were healed and were delivered and were raised from the dead. But the revelation of Christ was not with any one of them. And he had to streamline the scope of his questionnaire. Who do you say? I don't want you to get lost in the story because we are going somewhere. Amen? And then suddenly Peter stood out of the ranks and fires of the apostles. And Peter said that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So Jesus was pleased. And Jesus now knew that the revelation was with Simon. Hallelujah. In that revelation that Simon communicated, we saw it was a total description of who Jesus was and what, and what, uh, and what office he was operating from and what office he was destined to operate from and who he really was 
by uh, knowledge coming from the spirit dimension. He indeed was Jesus, the Son of God. He had always been the Son of God. But he also, apart from being the Son of God, was also the Christ. And the Christ is not a person. The Christ is an office. An office of a personality upon whom all of God's hopes were bound. Upon whom all of God's dreams were bound. That if God will ever do anything, it will be through him. That God would ever progress and advance his purpose upon the face of the earth. It will be by the instrumentality of the office of Christ. I'm talking about the office of him that manipulated everything according to the counsel of his will. That's the office of the Christ. And, and Peter had a revelation of who Jesus was. Had a revelation of his ministry. That was the totality of who he was and who you get it? Jesus now looked upon him and said, Blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for thou art what? Thou art what? Oh, you are lost. Thou art Peter. That was the day Jesus called him Kephas. I upgrade you. You know what Simon meant? A stone by the riverside. No, a weed by the riverside, son. A weed. That the waves of the sea come and beat upon and it compromises its position with the pressure that comes upon it. Alright? But he said, you no longer be that, that compromising weed. You will be called Kepha. You will be the stone. One that is set in his convictions. One that is set in the assurance of his spirit. One whose life will be <laughs> will be constant. Not variable. His positions will not be variable by circumstances. But his position will become constant by conviction. Your name will be Kepha. The stone. But Jesus said and upon this rock he was not talking about Peter. He was talking about the revelation that came from Peter. Upon that rock, the church was going to be established. Are you are you here with me? That means are you still here? If you are here, say amen. amen. That means Jesus was saying that the foundation upon which the church was going to be built was already there. It was not your portion, it was not your business to try to build a foundation because the rock has come. This confession that you have made, the confession that is based upon the revelation of Christ, is a proof that the rock has come. It's a proof that the rock is here. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now I want you to be very calm. Just stay with me. Can you stay with me today? Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Do you realize that in the statement that Jesus made, there was no if there. There was no but there. There was no, um, what is it? It was a statement of fact. It was not, there was no condition connected to it. He said, if the church is established upon the rock, the case of hell will not prevail against it. Are you here now? Now what is, what is, what is, what is, what is? Ah. Can we move?
few things, just a few things this time. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the rock of which he spoke about was himself. He was going to be the foundation upon which the church should be established. It means that there is a possibility that the church might, might want to, after being established on that foundation, might want to be built by a different material. That possibility exists. But in that day, in that day, the gate of hell will prevail. But if the rock is built, if the church is built upon the rock, established upon the rock, and the materials that are used to build the church are a derivative of the rock, then it will be so fortified that the gate of hell will not be able to break through. It will be so strong that nothing of darkness will be able to exert upon it sufficiently to, to, to crack it. It will be so powerful that it will rot wonders and it will it will it will expand without beyond limitation. It will use the resources of heaven and it will have a place in the earth that the gates of hell cannot deny. Acts of the Apostle chapter 2. Before we talk about faith, we need to talk about this foundation. In my little study of the Bible, I've come to realize that every and any teaching that doesn't derive from that foundation may be true but not complete. And when we run with truths that are not complete, there will be a deficiency in our faith. Something will be lacking in your faith. And because of that lack, the devil will prevail over your life. Acts of the Apostles chapter 2. If you are there, say Amen. Just follow me. For those of us that have been coming for Bible study, I've mentioned some of these things before. But I just need to establish this background so that we can move on. Okay? Are you with me? In Acts of the Apostles chapter 2, the Bible reveals to us the four agenda of the apostolic church. Fourfold agenda. Four-point agenda. The apostolic church had what? A four-point agenda. And that is seen in the book of Acts of the Apostles chapter 2 from verse 42. The Bible says that they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Fellowship. In the breaking of bread and in prayers, four-point agenda. That's what they did regularly. Every time they met together, every time they gathered together, they, they fellowshiped over the apostles' doctrine. Uh, uh, they had one-on-one -on -one fellowship as occasioned by the Spirit of Christ. For the Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And every time that people that are acquainted with the Holy Spirit connect together, it's as if strength fuses in, strength diffuses from a greater point of gradient to a lesser point of gradient. So much so that everybody goes in the same authority, in the same power. That's what fellowship does when you connect with somebody. You might be praying alone in your room and you, 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 you feel a sense of God. But when you come out and you connect with somebody that has also connected to God, the person begins to confirm the things you receive. And suddenly there's strength. And that's why fellowship is a precursor for spiritual strength. Thank God for the, the capacity that we have to connect God on our own. 
but that, that you cannot there are dimensions you cannot access just on your own and the bible said they continue steadfastly in the apostles doctrine in fellowship for strength in the breaking of bread so that the communal the law of environment the concept of, 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 of the divine divine fatherhood and family can be established in their heart and every one of them will know that they are part of one another when they come to connect on such grounds they do not see differences among themselves the holy spirit overwhelms everything that may stand as a barricade to their fellowship and to their connection and the bible says that as they continued in this they also fellowship in prayer as led by the holy spirit as orchestrated by the holy ghost and as they function like that many things began to happen in their city four point agenda I've always wondered what exactly does the Bible mean when it says the apostles' doctrine? Has it ever bothered you? Because if we fellowship around a doctrine that is not the apostles' doctrine, it means that we have compromised one among the four point agenda. And we cannot have the kind of results that they had. We are going very far tonight. I found out that we have had mighty crusades in the territory. Mighty miracle meetings. Mighty gatherings. Great preachers have come into our land to add strength to the um, local missionary initiatives that the church is bringing forth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. But when we look upon our land, we see nakedness, we see leanness and hunger. Obviously, there's something missing in the four-point agenda. And that's why we need to look at our scripture again and find out what did the apostles know that we don't know today. Because the apostles' ministry is a documentation on an accurate pattern of ministry that dispenses the purpose of God in their generation. Amen. So it is there as a textbook, as a reference book, so that we can look upon it and desire that God will pattern our lives and ministries after that order, so that we can have the results they had and yea, much more than what they saw, because God has no end. We can go beyond what they did in the Acts of the Apostles. In fact, that is the will of God. But first of all, the later rain must come. That means we must see. The things that happened in the day of the Acts of the Apostles first before we go beyond it. If we still continue with the stream, we will go beyond it. And then, do you realize that the Acts of the Apostles has not ended? Still continuing. It's continuing with you and me. The Acts of the Apostles is not there because men acted, but it's there because men knew how to connect with the Holy Spirit that was moving. And when they connected with the Holy Ghost that was moving, they had acts of the Holy Ghost through the sons of men. And we need to understand that if God has not changed and Jesus has not changed and the Holy Spirit has not changed, the only thing that may have changed in the four-point agenda is the apostles' doctrine. So much preaching, nothing happened in the land. So much prophesying, nothing changed. Change, change, no change in the territory. Something is missing. Because of that, I want us to do a little Bible study quickly as we try to understand the apostles' doctrine. And you see, all of these things are connected to what I want to bring forth today. Please be patient with me. Amen. 
when we talk doctrine, doctrine, I know that's an exciting word to raise in the midst of uh, theologians. So when I said doctrine, one theologian here now, it's as if the adrenaline in his blood went high. Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh my. You know, sometimes when we teach like this, you need ventilation. It will take something. You are, you are, you are too serious. It means you are, you are gasping out of, of life. We, we need some ventilation. Please help us with ventilation. Ventilation. Give me volume there. And hallelujah. 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 To your name. Speech 
to the point where grace is imparted and grace is received. That's not New Testament preaching. You get it? Can we move from that point now? Since we know that. When we look up into scripture and we try to design doctrine, there are three planes that we need to look at it. First of all, we need to see the doctrine of God. Now, I'm not going to take you too far. Just don't worry. Not too far. Doctrine of God. That was the doctrine that Jesus spoke about in the book of John chapter 7. Hey, are you with me? Hallelujah. That was the dimension that Jesus spoke about in the book of John chapter 7. Amen. And Jesus spoke about the things he spoke about in John 7 during the period of the feast of tabernacles now see I said that Jesus is an object teacher he does not just make statements anyhow he does not just pick up a microphone and makes you feel good he is saddled with a vast responsibility to communicate life from the perspective of heaven and eternity and so in order for him to do that effectively he needs to synchronize his teaching with the realities in the environment that the natural man can perceive so Jesus waited until the feast of tabernacles before he spoke about his doctrine are you here? no you are not here now walk with me I don't want to open the scriptures because you take time so much reading so much the feast of tabernacles had, had drawn there. And the Jews had gathered and the proselytes from other nations had gathered. And just before Jesus' brothers went for the meeting uh, in Jerusalem, just before they went, they came to Jesus and said, This greatness that you are doing behind the cupboard, that's not how they do greatness. That if you want to be great and if you are great as you say you are why not show yourself express yourself you are doing your own greatness healing a woman taking water to the to the well if you have this power to heal go to the feast and show yourself you went and it is her that you raised the dead some time ago why is it in a remote village that you went to raise the dead? Meanwhile, if you had raised the dead in Jerusalem, you should have gone on every newspaper and everyone would have hailed you, Messiah. This greatness you are carrying cannot be communicated effectively at the countryside. Why not go into the main bowl of Jerusalem, the hallowed city of God, and stand upon the pulpit during the feast a light upon it and say hey I'm here come unto me all ye that labor and a heavy laden and I will give you rest make a soul do something that will shake the entire clans and Jesus looked upon them and said your time is always right but my time is not it's not yet time for me to be made manifest he disappointed them again and then went down, face casted down to the feast. And surprisingly, when his brothers came to the feast, they discovered that everybody was murmuring about it. Some say 
He was a prophet. Some say he taught good things. These were the persuasions and the perspective of the people. Others say, nay, he just deceived the people. And so there were memories, but nobody dared voice it out because of the Jew. The real thing that we expected to happen in the meeting was the manifestation of Jesus. Not the old rugged rituals of the ceremony. You see, many times people might come to church, you don't know why they came. And you think <laughs> it's your sermon that brought them. In our generation, people uh, make church the appointment center for dating. Let's connect. Where? Let's see where. Okay, enter the church, I'm coming. And then the preacher might think he's still, his, his, his rhetoric and his lingo are still alive. That's why 2,000 people are gathering. Find out. Jesus may not be in the feast. He may not be there. He may not be in the feast, actually. And the Bible says that everyone was murmuring. That means when the priest came to carry out the ordinance. Hey, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the guy comes out, and then we hear murmurings. And nobody could fathom why they were murmuring. Nobody could know why. And the Bible revealed that in the midst of the kings, suddenly Jesus appeared in the corner. And he didn't go to the pulpit, he went where? And the Bible says he didn't cry out with humbies. I have come, I'm on television. Took a corner side, and the Bible says he began to teach. And the same guys that came out of the temple that were murmuring instantly saw Jesus. And people gathered around this teaching, and he began to bring things out of the archives. He gave breath and life to the prophets and the Psalms, he gave inspiration and revelation to the dry pages of the Torah, and he brought light and life, and he brought illumination. And the people wondered, how nowhere this man, these doctrines haven't ever led them. Guess what? The guys never say that openly. They said it in their mind, just as they used to murmur. And Jesus picked it. In, in John chapter 7. And he said, my doctrine is not mine. Now, see, that great statement is pregnant. Don't think you know what he's saying. <laughs> he said, my doctrine. What? It's from my father. Do you know what he was saying? And notice that he never said that until it was the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And what Tabernacles means is that God has come to dwell among us. And what his doctrine was, was that God resides in me. That's the doctrine of God. That God resides in man. So he was saying that my doctrine is not man. It's the father that is in me that speaks through me. The things I speak is not linked to my wisdom. I'm pouring out and I'm a conduit pipe. I'm letting loose that which has filled my heart. My doctrine is not mine. 
when you see me speak and preach and pray and prophesy it's not by my power my father that resides in me he gives me utterance he gives me wisdom he gives me insight and I communicate what I perceive that he has said that's the doctrine of God and he spoke that in the feast of tabernacles that God is tabernacled in Christ do you get it? God is what? tabernacled in what? in Christ and that is what we call the mystery of godliness how the God that the heavens are too small to contain him resides in man it's a mystery Jesus said my doctrine is not man hallelujah remember what um, Thomas said in the book of John chapter 14 Say, so was the father and we, we will be satisfied every time in the morning you say my father you went for a crusade you say as, as my father quickens the dead even so the son have given life to whom he will and when you said that we were looking around to see your father we are confused just the fact everything you have taught everything you have said every utterance that you release you said you are by the father okay no more games show us somebody say show us I'm tired of trying to imagine these things I'm tired of trying to capture it and to understand it in the realm of my mind show us the father and we will be satisfied and Jesus said my come on I've been with you for so long and you still say I should show you. So the father I am in him and he is in me. I dwell in him. He dwells in me. And right now he's the one speaking to you. And you say you need to see the father. Have I been with you so long? Are you God is tabernacled in man. I've been carrying him to Judea. I took him to Samaria. By him I healed the sick. By him I raised the dead. I've been with you for so long and you are not getting this thing. Are you? Have you realized in the book of 1 John chapter 4 verse 13 where the Bible says by this we know that we dwell in him and him in us. The co-inherent dimension of God is a mystery. Right now you dwell in him. Right now he dwells in you. And the proof that you dwell in him and that he dwells in you is that he has given up unto you of his spirit. That's the proof. So when you connect with the spirit, you connect with him. And through his spirit you can hear him speak. And you can pick his voice and give it utterance. Through the spirit in you, you can hear him place pressure upon you. Go to Uruku. You are just feeling it. Go. The father inside of you is going to Uruku. He's going. So lead him there. Take him. You get it? Okay, let's go. So that's the doctrine of God. God was tabernacled in Christ. The Bible says in the New Testament that in him was the Godhead indwelt bodily. So if the address of God is Christ, anytime you meet Christ, you have met the entirety of the Godhead. Because the father was tabernacled in him. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit was connected to his obedience. To his sacrifice and to his prayer. Everything he prayed for. Everything he paid for. Is what the Holy Spirit is administering. Do you get it? 
So if you have touched him, you have touched the entire Godhead. If you know him, you know the entire Godhead. If you seek him, you are seeking the entire Godhead. And the Spirit of God will bring his presence to you. We bring his knowledge to you. And that is the doctrine of God. That God is in tabernacle in Christ. You get it? See, these are the things that the apostles knew. That the church of our day has lost. And we make due for this loss by things that cannot fill the void. And many people have applied their spirit to seek the things that preachers have presented. And instead of life, they have met with death. Because it's only the spirit that can give life. The flesh profits nothing. Only the spirit can quicken. And the spirit only moves in the direction of the purpose of God. It only moves in the direction of the will of God. You can't find it where God's will is not. You can't find the Holy Ghost where God's purpose is not. Many people want to find God in prosperity. Sorry if I hurt you. But I think the day has come for the true church to arise. It generates a new breed without greed. That will rise out of obscurity. That will bear the name of the true God. And represent him accurately in our time. And create a pathway even for generations to come. That day has come. And the only way we can survive in this day. Is to know the truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. There was something that made the apostolic church strong. It was the menu that they feasted upon. It was a meal that they ate and delivered unto the people. And if we begin to eat that kind of food, we will do the same works that they did. Yeah, even greater works because he has gone to the Father. Second is the doctrine of Christ. It's the same thing, but in different dimensions. Doctrine of God, doctrine of Christ, then we can understand the doctrine of the apostles. Are you with me? Doctrine of Christ. I don't want to bother you with scriptures. I would have taken you to many, many scriptures, but not for today. Amen. Revelation chapter 1. Please don't with me. It's the first night we need to lay the foundation. In order for us to be accurate in the spirit, we must be students of the world. Amen. Because the revival that God is bringing into our land and into this globe, into the earth, in these days, the move of the word and the spirit. We need to be accurate in the word and accurate in the spirit. You see, people can use this Bible and take you to hell. This one. And so we need to renounce every hidden work of darkness and unrighteousness and then cleave to the pure word of God. That means we must preach the Bible without motives in our heart. Somebody might preach scripture with an intention to raise offering. And when the people go home lean, he goes to the bank fat. The days of such men are ended. Because God is beginning to position his shepherds. The one that he has called by himself and placed within territories and regions that will bear the word of God, will bear the testimony of Christ, will instruct the people in the Lord. And out of the main line, the mainstream generation. Men that know Christ will arise. Faceless, nameless. People that have no record of, of, of a prophet in their family. They will arise because of the things they have been fed with. And they will leave out the scripture and fulfill prophecy. Ancient one. 
understand. He was kept for the last revelation. He was kept to see the complete revelation. To access and take advantage of the access point. And to peep into the work of God that had been unfolding through the ages. And to understand it. There was a point he had to enter. And it was at the Isle of Patmos that he had that opportunity. Hallelujah. Verse 10 reads that I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I had behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Saying I am the Alpha and Omega. The first and the last. And what thou seest write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Unto Ephesus. Unto Smyrna. Unto Pegamos. Unto Titeria. Unto Sardis. And unto Philadelphia. And unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice which spake with me. And being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks. Somebody say seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks. One like unto the son of man. Why was it that Jesus was seen in the midst of the candlesticks? There were many places Jesus, Jesus would have been, would have been close to the candlesticks, beside the candlesticks. But the Bible says, in the midst. <laughs> in the midst. Somebody say in the midst. The son of man was seen. In the book of Revelation chapter 1 verse 20. All the symbols in that scripture were interpreted. Then we came to realize that the stars revealed the seven angels. And that the seven golden candlesticks represent the church. And the Bible says that Jesus was walking in the midst of the candlesticks. Signifying that he was walking in the church. The doctrine of Christ is that Christ can never be seen except in the church. Are you following? <laughs> the doctrine of God is that God is tabernacled in Christ. The doctrine of Christ is that Christ can only be seen where? In the church. Then now we can understand the doctrine of the apostles. Are you with me? And then when we get to understand the doctrine of the apostles, you will know what made them strong. And each one of us here is entitled to strength in God. But if we feed on the right things and emphasize the right things and live the right life, then that which was a teaching in the days of the apostles becomes a lifestyle, an experience. And then we receive authority by reason of the experience that we have, we have had in the truth to communicate the truth.
singing you are Rafa. You are Rafa and Omega and Omega. We worship you. We worship you. And we give Apostolic ministry 
comes to connect with what Jesus said in the book of Matthew 16 where he said upon this rock are we you my children and the gates of hell shall not the rock is who Christ okay. then Paul said that it's our duty as apostles to what lay the foundation of Christ have laid the foundation of Christ in the believers you get it that was what the apostles did. They laid the foundation of Christ in every believer. And they also taught the believers how their lives should be built around that foundation. Built up in Christ. Every other thing you do outside of that is not apostolic, it's not prophetic. I need to explain gradually so that we can understand and trace where the problem is coming from. Amen. When the foundation of Christ is laid, it means to give your life to Christ and Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit comes to tabernacle your spirit man. Is that true? The apostles were saddled with the responsibility of teaching the people the consequences of having that foundation and how to respond to that foundation, taking advantage of that foundation. That that is what is going to determine your bearing in the faith. Every teaching that is not does not derive from this tangent is an error. Amen. Let me prove it to you. Colossians 1. Now let's start the real business. Colossians 1. Let's start the real business. Can you stand the truth if I tell you? You can stand it? I've been privileged by God to travel a lot of places and to be in several different Christian circles. I know what the average Christian believes. Especially in Nigeria. Amen. But see, what we are talking about is not what you believe. But we are talking about the templates. This is the order that was set and the pattern that the apostolic ministry revealed in faithfulness to their calling in Christ Jesus. So we need to draw a reference from this pattern. If you are outside of it, you are in error. Follow me. I'll show you. Colossians 1. In Colossians 1, 9, 10, let's, let's run it. Let's run it. Can we run? Because my message is in Colossians 2, 7. But we need to finish Colossians 1, 9, 10 first. Colossians 1, 9, 10, Paul says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that he might be filled with the knowledge of God in the, with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, Paul heard that the salvation experience of the Colossians was genuine. And because of that, Paul came under the influence of a burden from God to begin to pray for them. What did he pray for them? That they might be filled with what? 
with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual understanding. The reason is because if they don't get the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual understanding, they are likely to fall into the hands of other preachers that will teach other things. And without that perfection of understanding of the will of God and the scope of the will of God, in all its dimensions and consequences, they will be living a life that is beating about the bush and not within the center of God's economy. And that's the reason for apostasy and departure from the central reference of God's truth and emphasis. I need to show you today that the central message of the Bible as revealed in the New Testament of, of economy it's all about Christ and his kingdom and everything that is outside that and does not take a cue from the pattern of Christ and his kingdom is isolated it's an isolated doctrine and it stands as a spiritual deviation I'll show you are, we, are you here you will discover that every time in the Bible when the Bible speaks about doctrine is always in the singular have you checked it? you have not checked let me tell you what I studied huh? right somebody might be saying here why, why does the Bible say the doctrine of the apostles and the apostles there is plural that reveals what is plural the apostles are many but the doctrine if you go to the book of John chapter 7 Jesus said my doctrine is it plural if you go to the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 6 the Bible talks about the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Principles are many. Doctrine is... So when we talk about doctrine in the New Testament, in the New Testament, doctrine is one. And the doctrine is the doctrine of Christ. Amen? Teachings about your new reality. Now that Christ has been laid in your heart as a foundation, your life should take its bearing from that reality. Doctrines about the principles that are connected to it. Doctrines about how to navigate in Christ. Doctrines about how to take advantage of your new reality and connect with your destiny. Because your destiny is in Christ. The Bible says that we are hid in Christ. And Christ is hid in God. And as, as astronauts explore space, God is expecting us to explore Christ. That is the sphere of reality that your life and destiny is in. But a preacher can come to town and say that the emphasis of the Bible is prosperity. And it leads an entire generation astray. Because when we see within the context of Jesus' calibration in the book of Matthew chapter 6, where he told us where prosperity comes in the sequence of divine revelation. He says, seek ye first kingdom. And that kingdom was talking about the kingdom of Christ. And the kingdom of Christ comes into you when God establishes his, his command tower by, by Christ being established inside of your spirit man. Are you here? So it's the same thing. Christ and his kingdom cannot be separated. So he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then prosperity will follow you. He showed us the sequence, the place of prosperity in the New Testament economy. It is an accompaniment. It is something that accompanies people whose lives have been brought under the authority of Christ and are responding to the authority of Christ. If you make prosperity an emphasis, you will raise a generation of bluepons. That's what we are today. The average preacher is a thief. Oh. You see, whenever you come here, don't play church. Say, play 
Grace is a platform that speaks truth. One day, a preacher became funny. Became so funny, he took a seat. He said, the Lord has spoken to me. Every time you see a preacher carry seat, leave the service. That's a technique in Portacot. That's a new technique to steal. He said, the Lord wants to raise a millionaire. Anyone that can give 100,000, you are sent the truth. Meanwhile, where did he take the seat from? Inside the church. Or, and it's not his seat. Did he come with it? Suddenly, it had been consecrated millionaire seat. Why? Because of what the diet we feed on. And the average Christian, if you, if you say give, people won't give. But in a day where millionaire seat is consecrated, you will know that people that come to church and wear t shirt they can also boast of hundreds of thousands. And because he is moved by greed, that's the only thing that can move him. God can move him. Holy Ghost can move him. Needs can move him. But greed, that's what you have been trained to enlarge. Is greed. Because we have isolated that doctrine and taken it out of the template. It becomes a tool that fights the purpose of God. It becomes a tool that hinders God. And at the best, people that follow that kind of life and template only increase greed because that's not the apostles doctrine and that's why I ask you can you stand the truth you can stand it deliverance it's a doctrine that is sweeping the whole of Africa go to East Africa and you just put a caption mighty deliverance campaign place will be filled. But when you come and say the word of truth, only a few Bible scholars will come. Understanding restoration, only few. But when you say deliverance galore, an unraveling of the secret past, and then put something mystical, consult a magical book and look for a phrase, look for an incantation, and put on the handbill, people will come in droves. Why? Because there's an error. People are feeding on something that is not the doctrine of Christ. Check your Bible. Did they cast devils out of anybody in the Bible who was born again? Did you see it in the book of Acts of the Apostles? Because they knew what it meant to be born again those days. Because when people gave their life to Christ those days, instantly they consecrated all their lives to God. That means they deliberately brought themselves under the authority of God, namely Christ. You get it? So they became conscious of the way he will live there because he's their king now. They want to use their mouth the way he allows them. They, they use their money according to his template. And all of their life is God in the prescription that his authority allows. You see that? Even if demons were following them, the demons will lose ground to operate. Because they did not, demons need you to be celebrating the flesh for them to be re relevant to you. Meanwhile, Christ is not transmitted in form of flesh, but is transmitted in form of spirit. And the Bible says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And a time comes in their work with God where they have no compatibility with demons. And they didn't attend any deliverance. And the guys are free because they have come into Christ and they have yielded to the king.
No delivery. Whenever we emphasize a minor, a generation is lost because of it. Can you stand the truth? You can stand it. Because if we keep exploring the truth, you will find out that the last 12 years, 14 years, you were feeding on the wrong emphasis. That's why you never grew in the spirit. Everything has its place. Every promise that God has made has its place in yielding to Christ. For prosperity is yielding your financial life to Christ. There is a template, a prescribed template, tithing, first fruits, sacrificial giving as God leads you. Alright? If all if that becomes the template that describes your financial life, it means you have accepted Jesus the Christ as the Lord of your finances and the blessing within his, 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 his bands will overflow your life. You will not be able to use a Japanese calculator to calculate the way God is going to take you because out of nothing. He doesn't need the raw material. He doesn't need anything to look upon. He doesn't need the capital. He evolves a template, an economy that the earth cannot understand because you gave him the place of Christ and King. And then we keep preaching prosperity for 14 years and we are raising more rebellious people to God and we feel we have a genuine ministry. It's fake. Can you stand the truth? The Lord Jesus spoke to me to preach what I'm preaching today. And we'll put it where we know how to put it. And yes, it will create an uproar, but I think it's our destiny too. The time has come because revival voices will rise from this land, even now. Men that fear no one but God, that hate nothing but sin, that speak only truth, and the name of the Lord will be glorified. That the, 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 the very altars of darkness that have been raised in cities and clans, it will fall for their sake. that place, all the demons that operate in that place, 
there's the demon in electric fan. There's a demon in the kitchen door. When you hear something, say, quack, quack. The door say, quack, quack, quack. It says, sakula baka, sakula baka, Is that, you are out of And so many things have come out of preaching and teaching. And I found out that there were several people that deliberately stood to take advantage of people's ignorance. The Bible spoke about it. That people that lie in wait, eh, they, they look at the economy, look at situations and look at circumstances and crystallize an emphasis that we are appealing to the people's flesh and they make doctrines out of it, build ministries out of it. But God has not changed. That's why the Bible is there. Paul called himself a wise master builder because he knew the complete scope of the word of God. That if God was going to do anything, he was going to do it through Christ. Could not do anything outside of Christ. So people come to church not to know God, but to know principles. To deal with their situations. They don't want to know God. Tell us what to do. Give us the revelation. And we'll go out and work it out. More and more, preaching has been devised in such a way that you avoid God. You know what to do. You have keys on your key holder. So many keys to apply, but no God. Gradually, our prayers have been baffled and tilted and brought to a point where it's full of self and empty of God. And we believe that on the strength of much of those kind of prayers, we can move the hand of God to walk. Hallelujah. Meanwhile, prayer is a kingdom too. It's an agency and a facility by which we facilitate a kingdom dream. That's why I said, pray this way. That will be done. That kingdom come. If your prayer does not establish a will of God, it's out of context. Most babblings will not help you. It must be driving down something that is the will of God. It must be That's why we don't see answers to prayers. Now, I don't want to be distracted anymore. If you want to go, just go. Now, now. And if you have gone out, don't allow the people that have gone out to come back again. Amen? If somebody has gone out, the person remains outside. How can one person go outside four times in one, two hour service? But if it's in the shop selling, it will sit down. That's how much we have educated our flesh. Educated it. We have structured it. Built our, our lives around the limitations of our flesh. And so order is, is far from us. Amen. Paul called himself a wise master builder. The reason why he did so was because he understood that all of God's purposes found actualization in Christ. And that was what he wanted the believers in Colossae to know that Christ is the center of the will of God. It is the basis of all spiritual knowledge and understanding. He is that base. And when you make him your focus, you will know everything. But if you seek something, you will know nothing. They knew that. And before these Christians will come into the hands of people that will lead them on a path that will claim 12 years from their lives, Paul prayed and said that you will feel with the scope and the density of the will of God in all spiritual knowledge and understanding. You see that? Then after saying that, you know, oh, how I wish we had time. Well, let me go to my message. I stop where? I stop at my scripture. Tomorrow we continue. Amen? Are you here? So if we cannot trace the life of faith in Christ, then faith is not in Christ. 
If we cannot trace holiness in Christ, then holiness is a religion. If we cannot trace prosperity in Christ, then prosperity, that kind of prosperity, that type that is devoid of Christ, Satan can give it. If we cannot trace anything to Christ, everything must take its bearing from there. Because that's where God works. And he doesn't work outside of that sphere. That's God's center and circumference. And beyond that, God does not work. Are you with me? Well, you might find some things that I say difficult to understand. Get the tape. Hear it. Hear it. Hear it. Hear it. Something will happen to you. Five months. Hear it. Hear it. Something will happen. Second, um, Colossians 2 as I round up. Today is for teaching. So please be patient with me. Colossians 2. Are you there in Colossians 2? Oh, oh, how I wish I had time. Alright, verse 3. In whom are hid all the treasures of the of wisdom and knowledge. Who is that person? Now let me hear you. You are not shout it loud. That means that if you are looking for wisdom and you look for wisdom outside of Christ in your textbook, looking for wisdom elsewhere, you are wrong. Because in him are hid all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. That was the sphere that Paul was praying that the believers should come into. Because in Christ I can access all of God's wisdom and all of his knowledge. Are you with me? And this I say, lest any man so beguile you with enticing words. He was always saying that. See, so I had to smuggle this to your understanding. Because if you don't get this and you meet a man, the man will be carrying a Bible. But if he doesn't emphasize these things, he will take you on a path that is godless. Take you on a tangent where God does not operate. He will still be using church language. Still be saying the name of Jesus. But what is presenting to you is not God that uttered it. It will sound so pious and sacramental, but it will not be leading you on the path of spiritual progress. For God's work is summed up in this one thing Christ and Christ only. Amen. Verse 6 and 7, then we'll close. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus as Lord. Uh, has anybody here received Christ Jesus as Lord? So after you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, what is the next agenda? Is there? He said, so what? I didn't hear you. So do what? Now let me explain that. Walking in him, you will see a column there. Column. That the next few statements reveals to us the consequences of walking in him or how we should walk in him. Walk, walking in him rooted and built up in him and establishing the faith that's where faith comes there are four things that characterize our walk in him first thing is what being rooted in him second thing is what being established where in the faith third thing is what 
abounding unto thanksgiving. These are the three things that reveal walking in Christ. Now let me say a little bit about this walking in Christ. So that you will know how it results in the exercise and the business of faith. Because this economy does not run outside of faith. Oh man. Each one of us can become a giant. If you know what I'm saying. Walking in Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 and 2. Now, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ born again. And then there's an, a condition. Those who are in Christ and walk not after the flesh, but walk after because Christ is revealed not in terms of flesh, but in terms of spirit. Now watch it. As you come into Christ, your first assignment is to learn how to walk in the spirit. Those are the things that the apostles taught how to walk in the spirit because they know that they are trying to establish people where in Christ. So they taught them how to what? Walk in the spirit. And the enemy of walking in the spirit or the alternative of walking in the spirit is walking in the flesh, walking in your senses, walking in that which you have already seen and known. Are you here? When we begin to teach men how to walk in the spirit, you will begin to understand God's signs, God's signals, God's, God's symbols, and God's words. Somebody say God's signs, God's signals, God's symbols, and God's words. You must master those four things. Alright? Let me give you an example. God's signs. You wake up in the morning, you, you pray the Lord before you sleep, or you wake up and you, there was no peace in your heart. That's a sign. A sign is a movement of the Holy Spirit. A communication of the Holy Spirit that is hidden to your mind. But an impression of that communication is made on your heart so much so that it's so strong that you cannot ignore. That's a sign. Oh, no time. Can we close tonight? Begin tomorrow. Ah, I, you know, I was meditating in the room yesterday. My wife came and said, what's your problem? I said, I'm thinking of how to condense this summer into the time followed by God. God's signs. And the guy wakes up early in the morning, cries as falling something in, in his spirit, and he has not unveiled the understanding. When God gives you a sign, what you do is, if you are wise or if you are responsible, you will shut down everything and go into God and begin to press in prayer until God unveils the meaning of that sign. Yes, the reason why I caught your attention is because if I don't catch your attention, you go straight to work without saying hello. I needed your attention. Well, nothing serious. I just wanted to hear your voice, sir. But for information, don't travel by Benway Links. <laughs> My God, Moses was caught up with a body. And he, 
he guarded his loins with his garment and ascended the mountain top and was there for 40 days and God said nothing on the 40th day God showed up Moses I just wanted your no wanted your presence I just needed to talk to fellowship no well, well for your information when you get down tell the people to give an offering you need me to fast for 40 days to hear take an offering but you see if you are not responsible you will not be faithful to science and you will never grow in God you don't grow in God by following the prescriptions of a textbook an eloquent preacher take notes I like notes so take, take notes but your notes won't the fact that you are not taker doesn't mean you are a power taker even though I encourage people to take notes because if you take notes you can at least know what was treated and you can go back with prayer points within the circle of that which was treated so if you don't take notes you are not serious especially when you sit under a teaching ministry no note I understand everything you are that kind of man that is lean and hungry Well, let me stop. I continue tomorrow. God's signs, God's signals, God's symbols, and God's words. And then when you begin to operate that way regularly, you will come to a point where you have no confidence in the flesh. It means you have been rooted in Christ. Are you with me? When you operate like that and somebody comes and says, you're a big head don't feel anything. You don't feel any need to redeem your image. Because you are rooted in Christ and you have come to a point where you acknowledge that the flesh profits nothing. If I react against this guy now in the flesh and slap him, I will not gain anything because my destiny is in Christ. It's rooted. And then as you get rooted in Christ, you will be abounding in the faith because in interacting with a God that you cannot see, you take his convictions. You take the assurance, assurances. You take the things he furnishes on your heart seriously as your sight into the spirit realm. And so if you walk in any other way but faith, it means you are blind. Rise up, let's close for tonight. And in our generation, God is beginning to rise, raise a new kind of people. There are people that know Christ, that understand the words of Christ, an army of men and women that can put the devil to flight, a people that understand the command of their master, and you are that people. Oh my, give me do. I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more. Somebody help me sing that song. And I want to know you. I want to know you. The Bible says the least of 
fathers of them, we know the Lord. And no man shall say unto his neighbor, Know the Lord. For all of them shall know me. All of them shall know me. All of them shall know my voice. I want to know you.